Hey everybody! Today, we discover what Foxy Boxing looks like in the 24th century. We see the Jerry Curl make a sweet comeback, and we ask the question, how many groups of people can you offend in a single episode? Stick with us to find out. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. And I'm Andrea. Sharice, today we are reviewing Season 1, Episode 3, Code of Honor. This episode was written by Katherine Powers and Michael Barron and directed by Russ Mayberry. The star date is 41235.25. And I'm just going to dive right in and say, this episode sucked. It was one of the worst episodes for me. It wasn't... I think it might be tied with the worst with another episode that's coming up in in season one, but uh, let's get into the plot really quick and then we'll dive right in. So the enterprise arrives at the planet Ligon two to acquire a rare vaccine needed to combat this deadly outbreak on some other planet. Lutan, the Lagonian leader transports up to the enterprise to provide a sample of the vaccine. And he's really impressed by Tashiar's status as head of security because this is a very patriarchal society. So, you know, women as head of security, that's a big deal. So mm-hmm. after a tour of the ship, Lutan and the Lagonians abduct Tasha Yar as they transport back to the surface, and Lutan announces that he wishes to make Yar his first one, and this surprises the Enterprise crew, but also Yarina, who's already Lutan's first one, so she's a little pissed. Mm-hmm. She challenges Tasha to a fight to the death to claim the position, and Picard objects to the fight. Lutan refuses to give the Enterprise the rest of the vaccine, so Yar participates in this battle to the death for the vaccine. So she has this higher purpose. So we're in some pretty deep stuff already. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, um, I, I thought I was going to be a lot more offended by this episode than I was. Don't get me wrong. I was super offended, but, <laughs> but I, but I've been offended by other things just a little bit more that happened in this, um, in this sure. first season. Sure. So, so here's the thing, this entire alien culture um, they don't look very alien. They're basically just black people with scars on their faces and, and like African reminiscent garb. Yeah. Well, the way that they behave is a little bit like African tribes, like a little bit of a throwback to African tribes. Right. And their dress is more Arabian. Okay. So they look they look kind of like they belong in Aladdin and their their homes oh, you're are right. very Arabian as well. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. But then they're referred to as uh, this, this part where Lutan kidnaps Yar is referred to as counting coup, whether it's kind of a throwback to a Native American practice. So as a black woman, I felt offended for everyone, for, <laughs> Absolutely. for other African-Americans, for the Arabians, for, I mean, Native Americans, for women. I was just like, oh, this is so bad. Yes. Um, yes. But that aside, um, we can talk about the actual episode, but those pieces were, were just kind of a little bit irritating to me. Um, yeah. I, agree. I don't know. What were your thoughts on it? I agree. I, I thought it was one of the worst episodes um, to watch for me, like the scenes were clunky and, you know, the fact that they keep referring to the Lagonians as this like savage barbarian race and they're all black. It's like, Oh, come on. This is really problematic for me. It really, Mm -hmm. really is. Um, There are, there's some interesting feedback from this episode. So Will Wheaton, who we just totally love um, Mm -hmm. and played Wesley Crusher on this show, he reviewed this episode in the past 
And he said that this episode is an example of the type of episode that in the first season would have resulted in the show being canceled mid-season if it hadn't been so supported by the fans and like run directly into syndication. So Star Trek already had this huge fan base, but if this had been just like a show that nobody had ever heard of, that episode right there would have just sunk the whole ship. Everything would have gone down in flames. Which yeah, is fair. Which is this totally kind of an episode makes you want to sink a ship. Absolutely. I mean, well, let's look at where we're at here. We're three episodes deep into this new series. And so far, we've had that like horrible first episode mm-hmm. that's just Super all over the painful. place. Yeah. And then episode two where everybody was horny as hell. And then now we have the black people are the bad guys. So right. th- there, I actually, in reviewing this episode or rewatching it, I was thinking like, how the hell did people keep watching? Like, how did you even tune into episode four? Like, right. I wouldn't even have bothered right. anymore. I so, mean, maybe if you're just a diehard Star Trek fan from the original series and then this show comes up and now you have a chance to kind of relive what you loved from, from 20 years ago. True. Right. Maybe those people are just like, it's going to get better. It, it, it's going to turn around. It, it has and to. And stuck in there with it, <laughs> which is actually good because like I've said before in the show, I think the show does get better as the seasons go along. So, so you know, better. good, good on them for kind of pushing through the pain. But yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how people made it to season to episode three. Or to yeah. episode four. Like, so many points. It's just like, you know what? I think I'm good. Yeah. I think I'm dead. Right? So, um, James Hunt, who's a writer for Den of Geek, said that this episode is so racist. It seems to do its best effort to undo those important lessons the original series imparted, like, 25 years ago that we were supposed to have learned that, like, all races can work together. We're mm-hmm. all in this together. We're just sort of, like, one big universe of, like, like-minded, whatever, right? And mm-hmm. this episode is like, er, like, let me just undo all of that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like that at all. Um, and I think that that this episode was universally hated by the cast as well. There were a lot of production holdups because they sort of refused to film some of the scenes, which I think is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, one of the other things that you sort of touched on is how it seemed like this African culture was like the bad guys or like the savages, which mm-hmm. again, very problematic. But I think one of the workarounds that the writers tried to do is that they had the Lagonians follow the strict custom um, Mm -hmm. of standards that were similar in ancient China. So the men rule the culture, but the land and the wealth is controlled Mm -hmm. by the women, which I did not know about, but I was like, I noticed that as well. They said, you guys are very similar to another culture that was on ancient earth. And they gave them that, that horse. And they were like, this is from the, the Shin dynasty, which is Mulan times. Um, oh, is I believe. It? Yeah. Oh, I yeah, did not know that. Mulan is not a real story, but it was a, you know, it was like a fable told at the time and, and it takes place around that same um, era. And so I was a little bit confused because I was like, all right, so they're African and Arabian and sort of like Chinese, but also like <laughs> but, Native Americans. <laughs> right. But it's all like, of those people are savages. Like that's kind right, of the moral all, of the story, yeah. right? It's all like minorities. And they're all savages. And they're all savages. They're it all, just, yeah. It just, and they, and they were kept referring to them as like, um, you know, there was this kind of us versus them, right? Where the Lagonians are like, we are so civilized. We have simple ways, but they're deep rooted in our culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the Federation that are just like, I can't believe that the way they behave, we're so much more civilized. And, you know, it was just kind of like, yes. Yes. Yeah, so here Ugh. comes Captain Picard having one of his wonderful Captain Picard moments where he's giving a speech to Data and Jordy and Troy, I think, on the planet, which we can get to in a minute. But he basically starts talking about the Prime Directive. And this is the first time in TNG that the Prime Directive is like explicitly 
spoken about, like we cannot interfere in this culture mm-hmm. um, and their ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't really know where to go with that. Like <laughs> the prime directive <laughs> is talked about, but, but I mean, it was in this kind of like hot mess of a moment of yeah. a hot mess of a episode. Yeah. It's so. really interesting what they play around with, with the prime directive in this throughout TNG, but also the rest of the Trek universe. It's kind of like this, you know, all important, we cannot interfere protocol, which is constantly broken. Uh, it's almost never upheld. Oh my God, like left and right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I don't know. I, I wonder if that kind of feeds into our our kind of American, you know, rebellion inside of just like, yeah, that is a good idea, but it's really important for us to get involved in someone else's issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I feel like it's kind of that, that piece where you're like, yeah, we shouldn't, we should just like walk away. We shouldn't be the world's police but someone's got to do something about that and we should get involved. Right? <laughs> you, so know? Is, you know what? That is America to a T like this yeah. kind of, as much as I, as much as I, you know, love my life and I love where I live and da 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 da. Like there is very much just like imperialist, mm-hmm. like, Oh, I don't really like what's going on in this corner of the world, but we're going to get involved anyway. It's like, okay. So right. prime directive and then ignored. Like that's mm-hmm. very much Starfleet. Very it's, much. Yeah. So. It's kind of like a suggestion, a very strong suggestion. Yes. Like um, the speed so- limit. <laughs> Absolutely. Strong suggestion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So do you want to dive into this episode a little bit more, Cherise? Yeah, I do. So um, when the when Lutan uh, beams onto the ship and they have the like carpet that they roll out, it was very, very reminiscent of coming to America. Oh my God, like, yes. Wow. And then I thought, did they steal this from coming to America? But I don't think they did. But it was that same kind of kind of a throwback to an African society or culture that they're trying right. to kind of pay homage to. Although really they're just insulting. So I don't, I don't know if you could say pay homage because that usually means like a good thing. So I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> so they do that. And um, I'm like, okay. Uh, and then when, when Yar is in the holodeck and she's like, let me show you about, you know, Aikido and how it goes yes. or whatever. And she puts on the robe, which I thought was hilarious. I was yes, just because like, you're already basically wearing a yoga outfit yeah. in your Starfleet uniform. Like you're good girl. Yeah. You can or move. if that <laughs> outfit is super tight, which we talked about in a previous episode, yes. Um, putting on a robe is not going to help you. Like that's just not going to be a fun thing to fight in. Like the robe has nothing to do with you being good at Aikido. So I don't know. That was just but kind she of, does, but funny. she does kick ass in like a very milk toast, like display <laughs> of her like prowess. So it's like this holodeck version. And then, you know, Lutan's guy is yeah, like, let me take a crack at it. And then he gets his ass handed to him. Right. Very quickly. So. Which was his second time in the episode within the first five minutes. He's supposed to be the second in command, the strongest or whatever. He's like the chief of security and you yeah. suck at your one thing you're supposed to do, which mm-hmm. is to be able to beat people up. Mm-hmm. You suck at it. That's like, all you need to do. That's really it. So. Yeah. Lutan, I would really rethink your like employment structure because <laughs> you're hiring people who are not effective at their job. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. Lutan's just a weirdo though. So really, I mean, who cares what he does? <laughs> so then... Um, moving on. I mean, I, I don't even know how, how deep we can get to that. Cause you guys heard the plot. That's pretty much it. That's the show. That's yeah. what happens. There's they a have fight a fight. To the death. There's a fight to the death. They I will say though, vaccine badly. Yes. I will say though, when they do the fight, they do it kind of like, um, like a boxing ring. Yes. For those of you who haven't seen it yet, like a boxing ring made out of super cool light. So it looks a little futuristic and they have all these weapons for them to choose from. And what I found interesting was that the um, analysis of the weapons that Jordy and Data gave were that they were mm-hmm. all lightweight and tipped in poison and that they seemed to be designed for women. 
And I was like, interesting. So this whole battle to the death thing is something that the men like to have the women do. It's kind of like their version of Foxy boxing, but someone <laughs> dies. Um, right. even though, even though the second in command was kind of like, it's unheard of for a woman to challenge another, you know, somebody else or whatever, but all the weapons were designed for women. So I'm kind of like, yeah. So somebody's not being on? honest here or, or that line was specifically written to sound intriguing, but came out mm. of nowhere. So, yeah. <laughs> or let, or let's stay in the universe. Let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's because he was secretly in love with her and didn't want her to fight. And maybe okay, that's why go. he was like, no, don't, we, we shouldn't have a fight to the death. That's crazy. There you go. Um, so you've heard it here first listeners. We've decided <laughs> yeah. what actually was going on here was Luten's sucky second in command might've had a little <laughs> crush on Yarina. Lieutenant's first one, mm-hmm. um, and maybe didn't want her to fight. So, okay, look, can I talk about Yarina for a second? Because this is the best Rick James hair yeah. ever. It's pretty Just good. Just ever. I mean, there's like sheen in it. Mm-hmm. By the way, her costume. She's got a jerry curl, people. She, so. Oh my God, it's so good. Well, I'm posting some pictures up of Yarina's amazing battle costume. Yes. Oh, um, up so on our good. website. So uh, good. The, I put that in my notes. <laughs> yeah, check it out. It is just to give just to give our listeners who maybe are going to skip this very problematic episode uh, a little glimpse which we sort is, of recommend. Yeah, we maybe just give this one a pass. Just take our word for it and let's move on to the next one, but uh she's wearing this like metallic light pink ruched from top to bottom like jumpsuit mm-hmm. with a matching of the same fabric, kind of mm-hmm. like crown thing. I want to mm-hmm. say it's a like headband, a headband. Mm-hmm. but but like she has bangs and it's not under the bangs to so like keep your hair out of your eyes. It's like above on the top of her head, which yeah. makes no damn sense. It's like a stylish headband because Tasha Yar was also wearing a headband. Hers yes. just wasn't that cute. Tasha Yar went karate kid and had like the whole thing like to keep her <laughs> hair out of her eyes, which her hair is super short. So it's whatever. But you know, you're fighting to the death. So let's be careful, yeah. I guess. Yeah, we don't have to be so reasonable about her hair. Did you notice though that they switched to Tasha's um, stunt double? during the no. actual fight. No, I didn't. Yeah, it was her stunt double like the whole time. And I was like, wow, that really does not look like Tasha Yar. It's just okay. another blonde woman. <laughs> I want to <laughs> I want to address that because in later episodes when the crew members like fight with some alien race, uh-huh. they almost always across the board had stunt doubles. Maybe they all did. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. there was a lot of stunt double use. And in 1987... Um, there wasn't this like crazy HD TV, right? Yeah. So like they could pass as a, as like the same character. Oh but yeah. Now in 2020, with like super duper high def, and you can see every pore on their mm-hmm. face, mm-hmm. you're like, who the hell is that blonde chick? Like <laughs> your haircut isn't even like that close. Like it's not. <laughs> it's so that's so unfortunate. That's probably why I was just like, and the same thing happened in um Encounter at Farpoint Station, which is episodes one and two technically yeah um, but we're gonna call it episode one yeah uh, it's, it's episode one on netflix and if you're listening along with us fans that's uh, gonna be episode one yeah yeah and so there's a scene where will wheaton where wesley crusher falls into this little like this little babbling brook but i guess we're <laughs> i guess we're assuming it was like deep and dangerous it's very dangerous because they're like oh no wesley and then data goes to grab him and it's clearly a stunt double like <laughs> running and jumping and like picking him up and then That's suddenly right. you look back and it's data's face 
And I was like, but that guy didn't even look like Data. Like, he didn't even have all the face paint on. He was just a male. He was a male figure in Data's That sort of fit the description outfit. roughly. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, I think you're right because I never noticed stunt doubles before. But now in rewatching it, I'm like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, in 1987, and then I think the show went off the air in 94, 93, I want to say. It was seven seasons. Whatever seven seasons later is. Mm-hmm. They were not counting on super high-def television. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have this, like, crazy technology. Imagine how bad the effects are going to look in, like, 30 more years. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, going to be our version of watching the original series mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, God, this is just painful to mm-hmm. observe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the stunt doubles, they, now that we can see everything so like closely right, and like so, right. so like high def, like it's just, it's just like, oh, you guys really, uh, makeup department and hair should have probably gotten on top of that a little right. bit. Right. I was like, her Whatever. hair's not even the same. Cause Tasha has this like, like brown or black hair, like in the very back and the yes. front is blonde. Yeah. But this other lady was just, just had short blonde hair. I was like, her hair's not even the right color. Her face is not the same. Like, what's going on? Yeah, makeup but, um, and hair. You guys kind of dropped the ball a little bit. Irina, though, she she didn't have a stunt double. It's still her. <laughs> so oh. that's what happens when you're not the main cast. You get to fight to the death for realsies. <laughs> um, but yeah, her outfit was fierce. She looked oh amazing. And I was like, if you're going to die, die in that outfit. Yes, it was pretty amazing. That might be something that we can cosplay because I don't imagine it would be too hard to find something like that at a costume mm-hmm. shop or make something like that. You just get a crap ton of like metallic silver material and then just roosh it all up and mm-hmm. zip yourself into it. I mean, yep. like, you're really good at making costumes, so you would definitely know. I really don't have a leg to stand on, but here I am saying like, <laughs> it's really easy to throw together. I'm sure you can just, I don't know put it together. <laughs> that's the same thing I used to say about everything before I learned how to sew. I'm sure that's super easy. No, you did no time. I don't understand why the tailor is saying it's so hard. And then I 14 got hours sewing. later, yeah. you're sobbing over your needle and thread. <laughs> yep. I have had many a night sobbing over needle and thread, oh, literally. God. So one of the things that I thought was interesting during the fight is that, um, Yurina's glove tipped in poison. Yes. It's like knocked off of her hand. And yes. then Stabs this guy in the stomach, right? So yep. it, it pokes him, and there's a little bit of blood drawn. And the second he sees the blood, he falls over dead. Yeah. Which just shows you how deadly these weapons are. Okay, point taken. What I found interesting was that the next action that people took were to say, okay, give her the glove back. And they just dragged the dead body off. Like, <laughs> that was nobody's yeah. brother or husband or friend. I mean, not right. a tear oh was shed. It was just did, like, did no one even notice? said remove the body. They're just like put the glove back and some other random person drags the body off. Yes. Okay. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, when they real like when he falls over dead, people just kind of lean away from him. Like there's no like, Oh my God, let's try to help him. Maybe we have an antidote, like, whatever. No, they just kind of leaned away and then just kind Let of looked fall. at him like sketchy, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I did think that that moment when the, that hooked thing, like, flew off her hand and yeah. stabbed him. Yeah. That was the way for the show to tell us viewers how like you will die. How deadly. Yeah. The stakes have been raised, you know, because for all we know, Luten could have lied. I don't know. Yeah. Th- no, that's important. Death. That's important because I, you know, as this is our little ask a scientist corner, I don't know of any toxin or poison that works that fast. And my thought when they were like, we have the secret plan, my thought was that they tipped it in some in like a paralytic instead of a poison. Not not the not Urena, of course. Hers was poison, but but for Tasha's, I thought maybe oh, yeah. they had they had replaced all the poison 
from her weapon and turned it into a paralytic so that it would look like Irina was dead, but then she would recover. That's what I thought. Oh. So it was, a, huh. it was, it was important for me as an audience member to see, oh no, like they're still dipped in poison and they're still deadly and they, they didn't change anything. Cause I was yeah. really like, how are they going to get out of this? I don't see any way to get out of this. Yes. I was like really thinking, I was like, mm, I don't know. Everyone's well, advice also, was just kind of like, also yeah. They also set that stage. They said, you know, Counselor Troy is down on the planet with Captain Picard mm-hmm. and he is basically seeking her counsel and saying, is there any sort of way out of this? And she goes, without the vaccine? No, there's no way. And meanwhile, Dr. Crusher is, you know, sweating bullets up on the mm-hmm. Enterprise because she keeps mm-hmm. getting reports from this other planet that this, you know, illness has gotten out of control. It's like an absolute pandemic. People are dying mm-hmm. in the millions. So the pressure is mm-hmm. on for Tasha to accept this fight and, you know, kind of go all the way to completion with it because mm-hmm. she, because she's Starfleet, has a higher purpose than this right. like savage race who was just fighting for love, which, Plus, you know. she's a fighter, right? She wanted to fight because she wanted to win. She's a total so, hothead. Part of it was, I'm fighting for the virus, but part of it was, I just like to fight. And then the <laughs> other part of it was like, ooh, he likes me. So there was kind of a yes. couple different mixed motives going on for Tasha, but the one she claimed was the, the, motivating factor was uh yeah the vaccine yes well i gotta say lutan played by jesse lawrence ferguson was kind of a dreamboat he's this giant tall muscular live you know leader with a very deep voice right i mean he's dressed (laughs) like he just stepped out of like aladdin the live experience or whatever Mm -hmm. but i mean i will say i appreciate the male form in this episode because the men wore things that sort of were like showed their abs We're and they all had like crazy good abs. So you're like, mm-hmm. all right, you go guys. So, you know, Tara is a little, is a little, um, attracted to that. Okay. So another thing, this made me laugh, um, while down on the planet. So the enterprise has learned the little that they know about the Lagonians is that they have this very strict code of honor and you shall not cross that because then all trade is off all whatever, like, you know, honor will yeah. not be satisfied. Mm-hmm. So while down on the planet, Tasha Yara's already been abducted. Lutan's over there strutting around like a peacock, like, I got her, I got her. This mm-hmm. is the code of honor. So you have to acknowledge it. You have to accept it. So Captain Picard and Lutan are discussing the importance of honor. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it in these very diplomatic terms that, you know, a lot of veiled language. Mm-hmm. And Troy, who's completely useless in this moment, as they're discussing the importance of honor, goes, One can see the importance of honor, Captain. What? We're, we're literally talking about that right now. We're, t- you know what? Go sit at the kids' table in color, okay? Because we're literally talking about how important this is right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't need your empathic abilities to tell me that <laughs> honor is important because Luten literally just said honor is so important. Don't you agree? And Captain goes, yes. And then Troy goes, oh, it's important that, you know, we follow their honor code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, Troy. I mean, she was just trying I to help. Think, she did say later on, she was like, you brought me to this planet to advise you. So that's what I'm here for. I'm just going to, I'm going to play my role. And when I have yes, a chance, she was more I'm going to advise there. you. Yeah. She and, was more useful later when they were sort of in their own quarters and they were kind of talking amongst themselves. She really did sort of pull her weight then, but I did think that mm-hmm. moment was like so ham fisted. Like, yeah. why are you even here? <laughs> yeah. She was, she was good with Tasha when she was like, so, I mean, it must have felt good or whatever. And she's all like, yeah, it did feel good. Oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're see, like, she, okay, okay. She did She did a good thing there. I really do think that the writers were still trying to sort of find her role. Like, where did right. she fit in? Right. And I think that she does a better job in later episodes and subsequent seasons. But, 
Yeah. In the beginning, it's very, very clumsy. Like what the real purpose of Troy is. Well, it's a little tricky, right? Because she's an empath. But like we talked about before, a lot of the things that she realizes and notices are things that anyone could realize and notice. I mean, to be fair, in the first episode in Encounter at Farpoint Station, no one else could have known that there was pain going on from some secret alien. So that was like, no one would have gotten that. But all the other times when she's just like saying, stating the obvious, it's kind of like, well, she's an empath. She can also, she's a telepath, but she doesn't use that power. Um, and she's an empath, but she doesn't want to be too invasive as a character. Right. So she can only feel little subtle things. And so it's really hard to find a place for her. And she's a counselor, which actually does make sense because you're like, well, that's perfect for her working with her patients. But in this early, in these earlier episodes, she never works with patients. Yeah. You don't see that. And so I think that's one of the ways they develop her character in later seasons where she's actually meeting with patients and you see her using her, not really her empathic ability, but just her skills as a counselor. She's just, she's just a very good, like psychotherapist. Yeah. And so you kind of see that and you're like, oh, she's the ship's counselor. It makes a little more sense versus now she's more like the captain's personal counselor. Yes. Yes. She's like his personal advisor on like things that are not as concrete, like airier, more nebulous Mm -hmm. sort of things like feelings and emotions and blah, blah, blah. Yes. It makes much more sense later that she's the ship's counselor. I would love for her to be my therapist. She. Yeah. She's like gentle and soft. Mm -hmm. She's in tune to how you're feeling. I mean, she totally gets that. Um, Yeah. I think that, you know, as, as much as I love data, for example, and come to love Jordy and everything else mm -hmm. here, we are in episode three, we still don't really know who these characters are. So, so as much as I love data later on, there's nothing to love about him yet. As cool as counselor Troy becomes like as useful as she becomes, she hasn't really hit that stride yet as charming and suave as Riker is, he's not there yet. So we're still kind of developing who these people are. Totally. Everybody is still a little rough around the edges. And, you know, I think this episode really, really nicely sort of demonstrates those growing pains, you know, Mm -hmm. um, where we're starting to get into more substantial plots, like somebody from the crew has been abducted and now they have to fight to the death for this vaccine. Um, The fact that this episode seems to have, for me at least, such like blatantly racist overtones is what's Mm -hmm. problematic but if you had changed the race or the like color of every like why does everybody or made them aliens yes made them more aliens or made exactly like they're green or whatever some you know they're not heavily borrowing from one culture or another in our past (laughs) or four right then it would have just been kind of like a cheesy episode but it would have been good like the plot itself i think was actually good if you Mm. would have made all of the characters one color or one whatever really wouldn't have been that bad, I think. Um, we're getting into more like the naked now, which is the previous episode. And if you guys haven't listened to our review on that one, definitely check it out. That for me was like all of a sudden everybody's horny. Like, what the hell is going on? Like this mm-hmm. one, I just don't like how racist it is. Right. But the rest of the plot is actually pretty good. Um, I like Captain Picard in this episode. He's great. Like he's firm mm-hmm. about how like uncool it is that Yar has been abducted, but he's mm-hmm. so like smoothly diplomatic. Like you really start to see his strengths in like as a cerebral right. captain. Mm-hmm. Like Tasha Yar and Worf, they're freaking hotheads. Yeah. They just immediately are running to phasers and setting the phasers to kill. Mm-hmm. immediately right? mm-hmm. um and and captain also very picard, american i have to say oh my that's god that's also totally. kind of an american thing right whenever i watch these crime shows which i love crime shows whenever i watch these crime shows on like the bbc they're always mm-hmm. like they're like the cops are never armed i don't know if this is true in in england and if you live in england please let us know but on tv 
It's like the cops are never armed and they have to literally call in an armed response. They have to be like, all right, let's bring somebody with a weapon because I think we might need one. But Americans, if you see our crime dramas, they kick the door down with a gun in their hand before they ask any questions, they pull out the gun. Right. And I think that Tasha and Worf are very American in that sense where it's like danger, pull out a weapon, you know, just be safe. Just be safe. Yeah. Shoot first, ask questions later. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's definitely there. But like this episode really starts to highlight why Captain Picard is the captain of the flagship of Starfleet. Mm -hmm. It makes sense because he has this like excellent sort of demeanor. Um, Here's some like random little scene that kind of popped out of nowhere. It's the uh, Jordy is shaving with a razor and he and Data are starting to sort of strike up a friendship. Mm -hmm. I think it's cute that they kind of wanted to show this character development, but like Mm -hmm. it, it was just such a weird aside. Like the main plot of this episode was Yar gets abducted and she has to fight to the death for this vaccine Mm -hmm. slash Lutan's like love or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the secondary is there's a virus and Dr. Crusher is like, Hey, we really, really need this vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people are dying in horrible ways, but then you have this like random Mm -hmm. scene that honestly could have been in any episode about anything because it didn't Mm -hmm. have anything to do with the plot of this episode where we're seeing this emerging friendship between Data and Jordy. And I just thought, it just threw me off a little bit because I'm like, you know, I love a Data and Jordy mm-hmm. like bromance scene. I mm-hmm. really do love it. And I think LeVar Burton has gone on the record to say he hates the fact that people call it a bromance. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair. <laughs> He's like, why don't we just call it a romance? Because they love each other. And it's like, oh, that's really cute, LeVar. I freaking love that. I might be misquoting him, but. Uh... <laughs> LeVar, when you come on our show, you can set us straight. Yes, yeah, set the record straight yeah. for sure. Uh, maybe you and Brent could do like a joint. We'll figure that out all later, guys. You know what? I heard, forgive me, audience, because I don't, I have to find this link so I can post it in the show notes. I don't remember where it is. Oh, no, I do remember what it is. Oh, I'm totally going to post it. I remember what it is. It was a, <laughs> it was an interview with just LeVar Burton on Chase Jarvis's show. And he was talking about his wedding. And a lot of the cast members were like his, his yes. groomsmen. And yes, I just thought I that was this. so heartwarming and I just loved it. And you could tell that Chase Jarvis, he's, he's amazing. He's an amazing entrepreneur and educator and artist. Um, but he's not a Star Trek fan because you could tell in the, in the interview, he's just like, so how long did you play Georgie? And I was like, Georgie, <laughs> I was like, get Jeez, out of here. No. Give me the microphone. Let me ask the questions. Like but, uh, but when he was saying I had this person and this person, this person at my wedding, Chase was just kind of like, blink, blink. Like, I don't know who those people are. And I was like, oh my gosh, he was this. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, um, I think that's really sweet. I think one of the reasons why they put this in the episode was in the TNG Bible which um, you guys can get on our website at um, the, the TNG, TNG website po- podcast.com. Yeah. In the TNG Bible, which is the, the writer's guide that Gene Roddenberry wrote about the show and the characters and the plot and all that stuff. He specifically wrote that data and Jordy would be friends and that, that because Jordy has an understanding and appreciation of tech um, that he would accept data right away as like, as a friend with no reservations. Oh, I like that. I like that. I did not catch that in the TNG Bible. Yeah. Um, and then and then Data, you know, he said multiple times in that one random shaving scene, he kept saying, my friend, my friend, my friend. I don't think he said Jordy once, right? He was like, why are you doing this, my friend? Why oh. not do that, my friend? Oh, it's oh. so great, my friend. Like he's like, was really repeating that, which I don't think he does again, which is good because it's weird. But I think that's what they were kind of trying to bring hmm. out. So there's some some friendships that Gene Roddenberry had already envisioned to happen on the show. I think that one really rolls out really nicely. There's some other friendships that I just, mm, I'm like, I don't think that really worked out. Like, right. uh, for example, Tasha Yar and Wesley Crusher are supposed to be 
great friends in the show. Um, right. Which to me doesn't, it doesn't make any intuitive sense. I mean, it doesn't. He's, and he's this like anxious, ex- you know, very anxious to please, excited tech genius, right? Mm-hmm. But he's 15 or something along those something, lines. Yeah. yeah. And Tasha Yar has already kind of shined a light on her past that she came from this like very vicious colony where everybody mm-hmm. is like, you know, rape gangs are following you and everything, you know, it's complete anarchy. And she was abandoned by five and she had to fend for herself, like literally in just like the jungle or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wonder if what the writers were trying to hint at is that Tasha has this like damaged past, but she is, she can be like very maternal, but mm. the rest of the show, she's just kind of a hothead. Yeah. And she's the first person to go kicking people and, mm-hmm. Dropping that's that her, phaser. That's like her reflex, right? Is like she yes. she's as she's angry a as a Klingon, but that's not because it's part of her quote unquote culture. It's just because of her upbringing made her so yeah. rough and tumble. Um, I think what Jean was trying to go for it, as far as what it says in the what I what I'm like interpreting from the TNG Bible, is that um she sees Wesley as like the ideal youth, like her youth that was lost, oh, right? Like if she could go back, she would have loved to be like you know something like him, and so she kind of wants to kind of. Like protect nurture him, that. nurture, yeah, nurture that and like protect him from the vicious things that she's gone through. And there is a scene, not in this episode, but in a, in a coming episode where they do have this really long heart to heart about, you know, right choices and wrong choices for young adults to make. Right. So right. I, I mean, I, I think they're, I could see where they were trying to really bring that friendship out. I just don't know if I ever saw that, that chemistry happening on screen. Like it was kind of envisioned, but I yes. did see it with Data and Jordy. I did see that that friendship totally blossom. Yes, yes. That the Tasha Yar and Wesley Crusher dynamic seemed a little bit forced. Mm-hmm. But for those of you who know, and maybe spoiler, like Denise Crosby did end up leaving the show like later in the first season, so we didn't get to actually see a lot right. of scenes with Tasha Yar um, because she wasn't around that long. So it's it's much more organic with data and with Jordy. And I do love to see when they interact, it kind of feels really familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that Jordy has become like for data, at least like the de facto expert on human behavior. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like he's his closest friend, even though, you know, as an Android, you don't have feelings, but he trusts Jordy and can ask him these questions that like, he may not ask other people like he's kind of he's kind of like shotgun spraying questions about humanity around the enterprise you know just kind of everyone yeah but he really confides in Jordy, which i think is really is really sweet um and yeah lavar burton did say that brent spiner who plays data was his like best man at his wedding and like Mm -hmm. captain picard was there i mean not as you know but like all the actors (laughs) patrick stewart (laughs) yes patrick stewart thank you i would have loved to see a picture of patrick stewart as captain picard in starfleet (laughs) uniform at this wedding, everybody else is dressed like a like a regular wedding, and he's there like. <laughs> what if he officiated in that uniform? That'd be pretty oh my epic. god, that would have been like the best thing ever. Anyway, um, all right. So anyway, so back onto the rest of this scene. So Tasha and Yarina have this big dramatic fight, and um, Tasha hits Yarina and then throws herself on top of Yarina's body, and they're beamed to the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Crusher like revives her because the poison seemed to have killed her. So. This is interesting. Yarina's dying frees her from her marriage or her right from her partnership or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from Lutan. So it's sort of this like death till death do us part kind of thing. Right. Right. And so now the terms of the duel are satisfied. The Enterprise can beam the vaccine aboard, and then they've got this gotcha moment, which I think is so delicious at the end, Uh where Yarina comes prancing out in her amazing metallic pink ruched 
thing like mm-hmm. that she's wearing and her matching headband, which again, we're going to post those pictures up. So check it out at the TNG um, under uh, the honor code episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has officially lost the challenge. So now she's free from her marriage vows and Lutan's head of security who sucks at his job, but has been harboring apparently feelings for Yarina this whole time. Mm-hmm. During the duel, he goes, watch out, Yurina, or whatever he says. Yeah. I don't know if you caught this, but during I, the battle. I totally caught that. Luten gave him some nasty side mm-hmm. eye. Like, gave him some serious side eye because he was all like, watch out, be careful. And he's yes. looking over like, um, excuse me, I'm trying to have her die so I could take all her land. Right. Why also, are you rooting for her? Also, she's mine. She's my why first you, one. Yeah, why are you rooting for my first one? <laughs> right? But the real question is, why weren't you rooting for her? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Yarina takes his like really cheesy as crap, like sapphire or ruby or whatever uh-huh. that thing is that Luten was wearing, which was obviously affixed with Velcro and like unvelcros it and pops it on the head of security who now becomes the chief of this entire planet and gets all of Yarina's like wealth and land. And then Lutan, who's been very proud and generally been acting like just a jackass this entire episode mm-hmm. now ends up becoming like Yarina. Yarina takes him as like her second one or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's like, now you have to do the laundry and all that shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, like and I, really, I like that. I, what I like about that scene too, is that like, she legitimately loved her, loved her first one. She really, she was willing to fight for him. She was willing to fight for their partnership, their union. Like she was like, to the death, to the death because she, she like legitimately loved him. And then when she realized like, Oh, but he doesn't love me back. He just wants me for my land and my, and my wealth. She was just like, well, whatever. Like I died that, that dissolved the union. We're done with that. Like I'm moving on. And then she asks Tasha, she's just like, do you want him? Like, if you want him, you could have him because I'm done with him. And Tasha's you know, hesitantly says no, which shows she still has feelings for this psychopath. Um, and so uh, there would be complications, meaning she doesn't want to live on the planet with him. I don't know. But anyways, so she's just like, okay, well, if you don't want him, I'll keep him right. I'll take him as my second one, but she could have easily just thrown him to the wolves and been like, well, whatever. Like he's on his own now. He's got to find another woman. And when every, since everyone on the planet saw how he treated me, He's just going to be destitute and poor forever. I mean, she right. could totally dug the like knife in. Nobody is going to take him. Yeah, she could have totally twisted the knife, but yeah. she didn't. She said, "I'll take him back." Right as as That's a my second, second one, yeah. But I'll take him. And so I thought yeah. that was like, hmm, that's interesting. So yeah, both these women was- still have feelings for this this crazy man. <laughs> yeah, I get that's true. That's right. She could have just been like, and we're done. Drop the mic on him and like been like goodbye. Yeah. So she did keep him as the second one. Although I I suspect she kept him as her second one or whatever that would be, you know, like you're, you're, you're the second rate husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect she did that for him um, to kind of be like humbled. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. now, now you're the second rate husband. Like you don't get my attention. You don't get my land and wealth. I can keep you around if I want to like have some fun with you, but really mm-hmm. that's about it. Like you mm-hmm. now know your place. And I, and I actually wrote in my show notes, Suck it, Lutan. <laughs> because <laughs> he got put in his place hard. Like, and it was amazing. It was amazing. And that's amazing. like the satisfying ending of shows, right? Is when there's an ironic end. That's when yes. you're like, ooh, that feels good. So his whole goal, his one singular mission throughout this episode was prestige and honor and power. Yep. And you and done lost it. All of that and became a second. And so that's kind of the like, ooh, that feels really satisfying. Yes. Yes. You are now in charge of the cooking and cleaning 
and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine what second one does, but whatever. It's you are it's now diminished. So I love that she was like, come, let's go back to the planet. Bam. Like she's just commanding everything because the head of security for Lutan, who sucked at his job, seems genuinely in love with Yarina mm-hmm. and her Rick James Jerry Curl. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He was down with it. He was down with her. He didn't want her to die. Like, I like mm-hmm. I like this ending. I don't like the episode, but I like the ending. She got her just desserts. The chief of security for Lutan got like the woman he loved. And Lutan ate a pile of crow. So it, <laughs> I felt good. And you know, as a, as a scientist, this planet got the vaccine. So cool. Everybody right, wins. Right. Everybody wins. And right. Tasha, you know, she gets her ego kind of pumped up a little mm-hmm. because this big strapping man with a deep voice and a psychopathic tendency took a shine to her. Right, right. All's well that ends well. (laughs) That's right. And so on whole, we would not recommend watching this episode if you haven't seen it before. But if you have, but if you have, what do you think? Was it a good show? A bad show? Did you love the Luton death fighting, foxy boxing (laughs) going on or what? Let us know. So send us an email at info at the TNG podcast.com. You know, let us know what you think about it. I think we, I think we've really like put a bow on the, on the end of this very cringy episode, but check in with us next week when we talk about season one, episode four, the last outpost. That one's better. (laughs) (laughs) So we look forward to seeing you guys next week. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at the TNG podcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.